Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. One idea to help you run a more successful, scalable, and sustainable business in less than 30 minutes. And today we are going to talk about organizational health, what that is, why it matters, and uh, kind of really uh, get a behind the scenes look at a fellow who's played a tremendous role in even making organizational health relevant. And actually even think about it as a name for something in the development of a business, because I don't think prior to our guest and uh, another couple of people with whom he works being involved in it, organizational health was even on the part of the lexicon of management and leadership. So I'm going to introduce Jeff Gibson. And and before I let him talk, I want to tell you a little bit about Jeff from my point of view. A couple of thoughts I have. And when you think about Jeff Gibson, a couple of things you need to know about him are number one, extremely disciplined. Number two, highly ethical. And uh, number three, passionate. And when you think about combining those three things, he has unleashed himself into this world of organizational health. I've been fortunate to get to know him through my work with Patrick Lencioni and the Table Group. And Jeff Gibson's the president of the consulting practice that is part of the Table Group. And so, Jeff, welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Thanks for uh, blessing us with your time and your insight. Oh my gosh, Ed, thank you so much for having me. What an incredible introduction. Um, it would be great if you could come with me to every client. That would be a great way to kind of start, but um, I'm humbled by it. I'll be your Don Pardo. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm humbled by everything that you, sh- you shared, and I'm appreciative that those attributes stood out to you. Those are all important attributes to me, things that I try to bring to the work that I do, the clients that I work with, my family, every everybody that I engage with. So it's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, they're they're pretty much tattooed in my mind when I think about you in terms of what you do and why you do it. You know, the, the term organizational health, it's kind of common now and it's not necessarily well understood. So first of all, why don't you put a definition on organizational health? But because people probably infer a lot of meaning from that, but let, why don't you put your definition on it for the benefit of the audience? Yeah, you bet. Um, so I work with Patrick Lincioni at the Table Group, as you mentioned, and I have for the last 21 years. Um, Pat founded the Table Group in 1997, so we're on our 23rd year of business. And when he started the company, organizational health was what it was all about. Um, in fact, the whole intent of starting this company when he when he did when he did it in the first place was really to be able to serve lots of organizations. He was serving in a single leadership role addressing one company at one time and thought, man, every company should be getting what we're doing with all with this organization. And so they branched out and founded the table group and organizational health at the time. And to this day for us is really about just some basic, simple things. And it's about having a real culture that's clear from top to bottom where there's minimal politics, especially at the executive level, where there's high degrees of morale and productivity amongst employees, regardless of, you know, level, location, discipline, you know, whether there's no, conf- or there's no confusion about priorities and, and people are aligned and they're psyched to come to work and they get stuff done and you're not losing your good people, you know, and it's, it's all these attributes that when you rattle that off, people are like, I want that stuff. 
Yeah. And, and when we think about the combination of all of that, that's what we settle on. We say this, an organization that's healthy is one that has those attributes. Did, did, was, the, was the term organizational health something that you set around the table and said, we're going to call these attributes of a company that has this healthy, a healthy organization? Or do you think it already existed when, the, when you guys started? I don't think it existed in the way that certainly the way that we're talking about it. I'd never heard the terms before and I had been in consulting for a number of years prior to even coming to work with Pat. Yeah. And so I I actually think Pat, I would put Pat as the, uh, the grandfather of organizational health or the father of organizational health because he's not old enough to be a grandfather. Well, I'm glad to hear you say it because I've been saying it because I, yeah. I, I'm older than you by quite a bit. And I had never heard of the term before I became familiar with the table group. So I've, I'm, I'm giving the credit to the organization or Pat to, to be the founders yeah. of that premise. So. Well, and the, and the idea, Ed, was, you know, if you think about, um, think about decades of business prior to, you know, there yeah. was the decade of of the CFO where they're doing, you know, focusing on investments right. and, um, you know, banking and all that kind of stuff. There was this, the, the decade of the CIO when we were, you know, getting to uh, the new millennium and having to go through the 2000 changeover and all that right. kind of stuff. And, right. and really what, what we're about is making sure that this discipline, this organizational health is a discipline that is at least, if not more important than all of those, because at the end of the day, if you aren't healthy as an organization, all that other work, we call it smart work, really is not going to maximize its potential. Or it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. I mean, you can make those investments in, in these hard things or these these other disciplines, but the reality is it's not going to be nearly as sustainable if you have the, the health there. Right. Before we go past uh, the definition, when we talk about uh, politics, I would think most people, when we talk about being political, tend to think more in the context of uh, trying to put myself in position for advancement ahead of somebody else. I'm not saying everybody does, but I think a lot of people do. When the table group talks about being political, I don't think that's really the thought, is it? Well, I mean, I think that's certainly a part of it. You know, there's a lot of angles to this. I think the way that we generally think about it is saying or doing one thing when you actually mean something else. Uh, See, I think that's a broader umbrella than the career advancement. So for me, I see it as more when people choose their words. Right. To me, that was a whole new way to think of being political. Well, we've all been in in meetings. And if you think about executive team meetings, for those executives that are listening, where you're sitting and you're looking across the table and one of your colleagues who you know disagrees with what's being talked about because you've had conversations in the hallway about it, does not say anything in the meeting itself, or even worse, affirms it and walks out of the room intentionally knowing that they're not going to change their behavior. Yeah. That's political. That is political. For their own gain or their own sanity or maintaining their own control. The reason doesn't matter. It's just they're behaving inconsistent in a way that's causing dysfunction in the organization and the team. Well, I'm glad you're adding to our listeners thinking with regard to how, when we say the word political, being political, what does that mean? All right, let's go off of the, the general premise of organizational health. And let's talk now about one of the traits that the table group has exhibited that I think is rare in consulting is the challenge that you place to clients before you do work with them, mm. where where you'll you'll actually talk about, are you willing to do the work? Are you right. really willing to enter the danger and, um, and be uncomfortable? So why don't you talk a little bit about where that came from and why it's so important to the work that the table group does? 
Well, ultimately, I think it's so important because of why we're even here as a company. You know, Pat founded this company because he's like, people need to be more fulfilled in their work. This is actually a, you know, it's actually a huge problem worldwide where so many people go to work and you spend at least a third of your waking life or a third of your life at work and you shouldn't be miserable. And, and so if you have that on your heart as something that we're a problem that we're trying to solve, the last thing we want to do is waste our time with leaders who are giving it lip service or are just going through the motions and not really willing to take it seriously. And so, yeah, it's really critical to make sure that when you go into an effort around organizational health, for us as a consultant, that we're spending time with people who really want to utilize that, that insight because there's somebody else down the road who might not have heard about it yet that I would rather go have an initial conversation over coffee and get them excited about going and doing it on their own without me even in the picture. Well, I've been fortunate to be affiliated with the table group to the point where I know that yeah. I've heard stories about some pretty significant organizations that you've, you've said, you know what? Uh, I know you're a fortune 200 company, but you don't want us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, most organizations aren't that willing to walk away from an engagement. Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. It's inconsistent with kind of normal practice, um, right. if you will. But I, you know, we have a, we have a model that is how we behave with clients that we call naked consulting and naked consulting means just telling people the kind truth and entering the danger when, when we need to. In fact, I had a conversation just yesterday with a CEO who I said, you know, the fact that you're not calling me back and you're not responding to some of my emails and texts makes me question whether you're, you're actually interested in this. And he's like, no, 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 I really, I really want it. He's like, I'm going to be better at getting back to you. I'm like, okay, this is the CEO of a relatively large company who is appropriately apologetic for ignoring some of the things that I'm trying to help him with. But at the same time, if his behavior doesn't change, we'll have to have that conversation differently. And, I, and it's interesting. Sometimes we had a conversation once with a CEO who, it was a, an initial conversation where he was kind of going through how good his organization is. And we're like, that's great. You don't need us. You're doing great. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It doesn't mean I don't need you. And, and so I think sometimes there gets to be a little bit of an ego in there. And I think if we set our ego aside, um, which we, we always do when we're working with clients, and they're going to see that it's not about that. And we're just there to serve them. Right. You're listening to the Ed Epley Experience. Email Ed now with your questions for today's guest to podcast at theepleygroup.com. In his book, Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros, author Ed Epley breaks down key practices of professional management, how to implement them, and why it matters. Purchase your copy on Amazon.com today. Develop your competitive edge for the future while building a sustainable and thriving business. I have a uh, question that's, I'm in my own mind a bit confused with in the work that I do with my own clients, Jeff. So I'm going to bring it to you. I'm curious about how aligned the CEO or president or owner of a business needs to be with a board that they have for their business, whether it's a board of directors or a board of advisors. How, how often have you worked to um, get the alignment and clarity of the board with the chief executive as opposed to with the chief executive and their team? 
Yeah, I mean, there's two parts to your question that I think would be interesting to address, Ed. One part okay. is, you know, whether we've done that work, and we don't do a lot of that work. You know, every now and again, we come across a board, but usually it's, in, and we actively engage with them, but usually it's more in like the nonprofit setting where they're more right. of a, an right. active board, if you will. Right. Um, the majority of our work is with the executive team because they're the ones that are leading those organizations. And because all of our work is around team. You know, team is the core to it. It's a it's a core discipline. A cohesive team is a core Makes discipline sense. required for the organization yep. to be healthy. A board at the end of the day is not a team. You know, you have a collection of individuals who get together quarterly and they have a fiduciary responsibility to help um, make sure that the business isn't making poor choices. But ultimately, their primary job is to select the right leader and let him or her do their thing um, and hold them accountable if they don't. But, but the second part of your question is, to what degree do they need to be aligned? I think there's a level of alignment that needs to happen between the executives and, and the board. Meaning, if a board is overly involved and too worried about details and specific right. plans, that's problematic because now you've probably got some retired executives who are using that as an opportunity to play business again. Um, and in reality, <laughs> that, never, that never happens. That's right. And in reality, what you want is a board who agrees philosophically with how this executive or executives are leading the company and are willing to empower them to go down that path and support them with their plans. And of course, if they're making bad decisions, they need to challenge them. But often I find those boards try to be overly involved yeah. rather than um, rather than at the right level. All right. Well, I want to get away now from uh, the, the whole organizational health area and talk more about you as a leader and, and a little bit about how you've become the executive that you've become. You mentioned that you had been in consulting work before you joined the table group. Um, I'm curious about when did you know you wanted to even be in consulting? What, what, what took you down that path where you went and said, you know what, I, I like this. Oh my gosh. Now, do you're asking that because you actually know the answer to this? I do not. There's I a specific not. answer. Okay. I do not. So I started my career as an engineer. I came out of college and went right into engineering in a pretty technical role. Oh, the tumblers and, just fell into place now, Jeff, <laughs> when I hear that. So yeah, right. okay. That explains so, a lot about you. Okay. Go so, ahead. Um, and I, I liked engineering. I'm a pretty technical guy. I like yeah. that kind of side of things. Yeah. Um, but I found myself very quickly once I started doing that kind of work, just not really being particularly fulfilled <laughs> with it. Yeah, I um, can imagine. And I didn't, I didn't really know why, but I did know that my, my manager, who was also a very technical engineer, would we would sit in, we would end up sitting and talking about like how does our team work? And he was asking me for advice, and this is the person that I reported to. I just thought that was a little strange, but I had a I had a little bit of just natural inclination to that. But I'll tell you what pushed me over the edge once is I worked for in a relatively large company. I worked in a division where there was about a thousand employees, and the leader of this division was a guy who was not particularly friendly. Um, didn't smile a lot, wasn't an over-communicator. If I look at him now, I'd just say he's a, he was an under-communicator. He was not particularly um, kind of gracious or genteel, just didn't engage very well. Sounds like a normal engineer. In, in some ways, yeah. yeah I, 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 promoted, stereotypical, right? yeah, yeah, right. And so one day I found myself in a meeting, a relatively large meeting that he was in, and there was this strange person sitting next to him who I'd never seen before. But in that meeting, this strange person would lean over and say something to him, and then something would come out of his mouth that seemed like completely in, inappropriate for him to say and come up with on his own. I was like, that's weird. Who's that guy? And then I saw him again, and we were at a Christmas, our Christmas party, 
I'm sorry, the story's taking a little bit longer. No, it's great. I'm fascinated by it. Keep we were going. At a, we were at a Christmas party, and and this was in the this was in the '80s when you would, you know, you, there would kind of be like a receiving line. You're walking into this restaurant. We booked a restaurant. We're walking the and everybody's shaking the leader's hand. Yeah. And this same guy is standing next to the boss. And I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> and what I came to realize, and because he, and he's whispered in his ear again, I came to realize this guy was an executive coach and a consultant. And I thought wow, if somebody can help this guy change his behavior, I think I'm kind of interested in that. Now, I didn't know what that is. I didn't know what consulting right, was. Right. But I'm like, I think I probably need a business degree to do it. And so I, I opted to leave my engineering career behind and go to business school and, and came out of it and went right into consulting, not even knowing that it was a career. because it was. Were so you fun. married then? Were, did you have a family to worry about when you made that shift? Or were I you- got married the same year I quit the job and started business school. Yeah. So yeah. lots of major transition happening simultaneously. Do you think of yourself as an entrepreneur? Um, in some ways, yes, but I think overall, probably not. To be truthful, um, I think I, I think this is one of the huge um, opportunities that I have in working with Pat because he is a crazy entrepreneur, thinking creatively all the time. I actually think of myself more as an operator, like um, an operator and somebody that can yeah. manage something to its its optimum. So I, I don't know that I'm like thinking like, you know, miles outside of the box where Pat's like constantly coming up with new ideas. And, you know, those of you that read um, Pat's books and listen to any of, of his messages can kind of see where that's coming from. But I very much like take that and figure out, okay, how does this work? How does this work in a, with a client and a team? How are, can our consultants take it? And so there's the entrepreneurialism is from an application standpoint and helping others apply more so than like creating from a, uh, a spark, if you yeah. will, if that distinction makes sense. Sure, it does. We're talking with Jeff Gibson, uh, president of the consulting practice at the Table Group. Um, do you, I want to keep going a little bit further. So, you think of Pat as an entrepreneur? I do. Okay, I do. Uh, what about yeah. what about uh, some of his partners in, in the in the business? Do you think of them as entrepreneurial as well, or do you think he's the real entrepreneur of the group? Well, Pat's certainly the idea generator of things that come out of our organization. But I mean, Pat founded the company with a handful of other folks that are still with us today. I mean, I consider all of them entrepreneurs. You know, they left a solid career to start a business that for the last 23 years has grown to, you know, something well beyond any of our imaginations and clients around the world in ways that we never even considered. Yeah. My perspective is that entrepreneurs aren't by nature, you know, not all of them are creative. Not all of them are uh, one thing. It's that, that entrepreneurs, what they, to me, the common denominator is the willingness to overcome obstacles and difficulties to make whatever their version of the business become a reality. That, uh, yeah. that, that, that willingness to do whatever it takes to get there, um, not everybody possesses that. And, and, it, and, and I think the other variation to that for me is that they're tolerance for what other people perceive as risk hmm. is entirely different. So right. if I think of the founders of the table group where that would show is that they saw greater risk in not starting the business than in starting it. Absolutely. In fact, I would say that even today there's greater risk in not pushing things yes. forward because yes. we have this mission. And that's yes. why you kind of go back to like the purpose of why we're here Yeah, and it pushes you to continue to grow and, and, and further. And I, I will say like, you know, so we're recording this right now while we're both sheltering in place yeah. because of the COVID-19 situation. And this has been a crazy time in a lot of different ways. Much of our traditional business has 
you know, been postponed or canceled just because of the ambiguity of what's happening in the world. Yet we're innovating like, like nobody's business right now, putting out more content, creating more things for people without any necessarily any specific expectation that it's going to provide a return. Right. Just knowing that it's something that's needed. And is there some risk in doing that? Sure. But we're like, we're just going to get stuff out there because that's, that's what we need to do right now. You know, the naked consulting piece, and even before naked consulting as a book was written, the table group has always been prolific and willing to share its models, its thinking, its, if, if you will, intellectual capital mm-hmm. uh, and intellectual property that in a way that most consulting practices don't, don't do. Right. Right. <laughs> Talk about that a little bit, would you? I mean, I think this ultimately, you know, a lot of this comes back to Pat as the founder and his personality and, and how it's, and his, and his, you know, kind of his worldview. I mean, his faith is a big part of this. And there's an element of, you know, we look at everything from an abundance mentality perspective rather than a scarcity perspective. Yeah. And we think there's so many people out there that need help. We want to share with as many people as we can because we know that we can't touch them. Right. We're not going to right. be able to do all of this yet. We'd rather write books, put out videos, do podcasts, write articles, encouraging people to do any and all of this. And we support them as much as we can, whether it's with a, a free tool or a, a purchase product, but not in an overly done way. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's just, you know, Pat just wants people to be able to change the world of work. And it can't happen with just 12 people in an office in Lafayette, California, or even with our 50 consultants spread around the world. That just isn't enough of an army to make that happen. Or even the 800 that you had in uh, Dallas, Texas a couple of weeks ago. I know. I mean, it's, it's, I know. it's remarkable. Two questions we got to get in before our time runs out. Who's had the most impact on you in becoming the kind of leader and executive that you've become? And, and it could be personally, it could be professionally, but you would say... Say this: the person that I see in Jeff Gibson that they're they're the they're probably disproportionately important to you know the image and the and the and the kind of person you present yourself uh, as. That's a that's a really interesting question. Probably one that I don't give nearly enough thought to. I mean, when you first ask the question, the person that came to mind is probably not a surprise to a lot of people that you would ask this question to. Is I think my father had a pretty significant influence on me, yeah, and yeah. not not because of like he wasn't like a, 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 here's a lesson today, Jeff kind of father, <laughs> but it was more just watching him as a father, watching his, seeing his kindness, seeing his uh, responsibility, his commitment to his family, his dedication to his work. Um, just seeing all that play out more just in observations. Um, and then every now and again, you kind of get the lessons of things, which would slip in like on a, car ride home after a soccer game or something like that. And I think that sense of generosity and compassion and care from a highly intellectual person was something that really had an impact on me significantly. And then the other person, I, I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't say Pat Lanchoni has been a huge influence on my life. I mean, I consider him one of my best friends after working <laughs> together over 20 years. Um, but, you know, we worked side by side for the first 10 years of this company. Yeah. To, to serve clients and had more fun than frankly, we probably deserved in those kinds of in instances. And so being behind the scenes to see the sausage being made and how we're writing a new book or coming up with a new idea or how we serve clients and, you know, all of that has influenced certainly my ability to, to impact companies and leaders more than anybody. And you weren't, you weren't friends or familiar with Pat before you joined the company, were you? 
No, not at all. It yeah. was, I think this was a, it was a, one of those meant to be, I think I was supposed to be here in this yeah. place working with him and the circumstances that brought us together were completely random. You know, they had the table group at the time had a client that was a job search board and they posted a job at the time that I was starting to get anxious in my job, thinking it was time for me to do something new. And we got connected randomly like that and happened to live less than three miles from one another. And this was a, this was a national job search that they had started. And frankly, it was kind of funny because he had, his twins were born nine days after my son was born in the same hospital delivered by the same doctor. <laughs> and so all these little dots started to connect and we're like, okay, I think this is probably the place for me to be. That is strange. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> I did not know that story. I, I was pretty sure you had not grown up uh, as friends or that kinds of thing, you know, where, where you, that's how you got the job. Right, right. Two things I want to add. One, uh, I think it's friendships formed through business, real friendships that are formed through business are really special compared to friendships you have outside of business. I, I'm not sure why, but yeah. there's something about when you become friends because you're in business or working together, that's, there's an intimacy there that you don't necessarily have with somebody that becomes a friend outside of business. Yeah. I mean, to share life experiences across so much of your, of your life now, because we'll spend time outside of work as much as we will spend time together in work. And, you know, sometimes it gets a little muddled, you know, there's always times where that's going to, that's going to happen. But, you know, when you love each other, like brothers, it's easy to, easy to work through any of those kind of issues. Oh yeah. All right. I got two things that, and we're close to the end here. One is a quote I just read by George Bernard Shaw that I think really relates to you. This is the true joy in life. The being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, the being thoroughly worn out before you are thrown on a scrap heap. That being a force of nature instead of a feverish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. <laughs> that when you discover your purpose in life, when you get to operate in that manner, um, I think you're an entirely different human being. And, and it's clear you've had the opportunity to live your life's purpose. And that's one of the reasons why you're so good at what you do. Amen to that. That's great. Thanks, Ed. Uh, we are uh, near the end. So we've got to ask you that final question that we ask all of our guests, which is if, if somebody's a president, a, an owner, a CEO, an executive in a business, and they're trying to run a more successful, scalable, sustainable business, what's the one piece of advice you would give that person? What a great question. And based on all the work that we've been doing that I've been doing for the last 20 plus years is I think you invest in your team. I think the most important thing that you can do as a business leader is to not do it on your own. Invest in your team, build a team that is so cohesive, you can tackle any challenge at any time in any day. And that means as a leader, showing up as your vulnerable human self every day so that the rest of your teammates do the same thing and want to be there with you. He's Jeff Gibson. He's the president of the Table Group's consulting practice. He's a great human being, and he's a tremendous professional at what he does, and he's blessed us with some time today on the Ed Epley Experience. Jeff, thanks for doing this. I, we're, this is not the only time we're going to do this. We're going to have you back. Hey, it's, it's my pleasure, Ed. I, I love it. It's great seeing you. So thanks for having me. God bless you. Yeah, and God bless you. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. 
For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 